for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right. And shining in my mind You got me loving Hating crazy indecision In my mind Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blasey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 20. And on today's episode, I have Jake Elinger on again. You know, back a month ago before I left for Dropped, I said I was going to do a part one and two with Jake just because I didn't get to all the questions I wanted to ask him. Well, within that month, I was on Dropped, and the deer season here in Michigan started, and Jake was going after his number one hit list buck called Pretty Boy. Well, Jake had a pretty cool encounter with him, and that's what I really want to dive into. We did hit on the remaining questions that I want to get to, which were awesome about the habitat and everything. But this story about Pretty Boy is a pretty cool one that everyone is going to enjoy. So I hope everybody enjoys it. And, you know, the last month being on Dropped, we had a good time. Um, We were successful. The fishing was great. But I'm going to get into that in a later podcast so we can talk more about it. But today I'm going to get Jake Ehlinger on here. And I did, in fact, get to hunt for the first time in Michigan the other night. And I did see two does. Um, went into an observation stand on the main farm which is where the one acre was I didn't push into the one acre yet just because I just don't feel like it's the right conditions and I just kind of wanted to ease into it and just kind of look from afar and see what was going on so I did see a couple deer and it was a good night and it felt really good to get back into the stand so enough of me blabbering I'm gonna get Jake on the phone here and I hope everybody enjoys this All right, here we are. I'm back uh, from a long month in the bush on Dropped, and finally 
getting another podcast out to everybody. And, and you know, before I left, I, I said I'd have a, a two-part with Jake Elinger and finally got Jake back on here. But things have changed a little bit since I've been gone. And Jake, uh, I'm sure we're going to get into it here soon, but uh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing uh, pretty good, Aaron. Uh, better than most uh, early Octobers, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and, you know, the reason why... I wanted to have you on is because I had a whole list of questions from the last one that we didn't get to, but I think I'm going to throw those aside just for a little bit because Jake, you killed your, I'm pretty sure it was your number one target buck the other night, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yep. Yep. And I'm, you know, when you text me and the picture came through and I'm like, oh my gosh, he did it. He did it. And within the first week of season and I was, I was super pumped for you. Well, uh, thank you. I, I'll tell you, I was uh, actually pleasantly surprised that uh, all of us that have hunted big deer here in Michigan know that uh, occasionally the stars line up, but uh, I've never had a lot of success in early season, so it was pretty cool how it all came together, I'll say that. Yeah, you know, in the, in the last podcast we did, obviously, was a month ago, and, um, you know, I think I think we touched on this deer you named Pretty Boy, Right. I think we did a little bit. We briefly kind of, you know, threw it out there. This is this is the deer you're going to be after. But I would like to backtrack a little bit for anybody that maybe didn't listen to that one. And and kind of let's start from the first day that you even found out about Pretty Boy and, you know, really started making it your 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 goal to to really get after this deer. Well, OK, uh you know, this deer uh, started showing up real regular here on my property in front of game cameras, and I got several sightings of him uh, during the 2017 season. And I uh, actually, uh, he was the buck that came in and postured. Uh, I have a, a decoy video that I shot last year and put on YouTube. And, you know, as good a deer as he was, I mean, a really nice body, all kinds of potential, nice antler structure, probably you know, low 100s, okay, 105, 112, 115, who, who knows exactly, okay? Okay, yep. But anyways, I just knew that he had uh, awesome potential, and, and you know how I am from our conversations that I have uh, always looked. And at that time, I wasn't sure if he's just a really good, healthy two-and-a-half, or maybe he was a three-and-a-half. He was very uh, dominant, and, uh, you know, he, just, he had every, every scrape I had a camera on, I got pictures of him. So he was working scrapes and, and really doing his thing. And considering Brutus was in the area, that let me know that he didn't have any problem challenging him. So he probably was three and a half last year. But irregardless, um, had great pictures of him. And, of course, gun season came and went. And, you know, like all gun season, uh, southern Michigan properties, all your good bucks just disappear and you go, oh, God, who killed him, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, were, were a lot of those pictures you were getting of him in the 2017 season, were a lot of those daylight or were they majority um, after dark? You know, I, I definitely, I, I got both, but I did get a lot of daylight pictures of him. Did you think you knew where he was bedding? Was he staying on your property or, you know, was he just kind of a passerby i had a really good idea where he was betting because he consistently came out of one spot and worked worked a specific scrape and that scrape he was always working like that last 45 minutes of daylight so i knew he was okay. getting up moving around and uh, yeah so yeah he was he you know he had really cool potential and and uh, just an awesome deer and uh 
it got into late muzzleloader season or maybe even after muzzleloader. And sure enough, I started getting pictures of him again in my food store. And he did, I was worried about him because he lost a lot of weight. And I could tell by uh, one of the close-up pictures, he'd been in a fight. And he had a pretty nasty antler gouge from the corner of his mouth all the way down to the base of his neck. Oh, really? You know, the first few pictures, it was just wide open and gaping. And I thought, oh, man, you know, he's in trouble, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, because infection. But, you know, I kept getting pictures. And uh, by the time uh, we got through January, I was still getting the occasional pictures of him. And you could tell he was healing up. And I thought, oh, man, he's, he's coming around. So uh, I got consistent pictures through the winter and into early spring. And I actually got a a pretty good picture of him after he dropped both sides. And I had, I had, I had a camera in a spot where I'm known to find sheds. And so I went in there and sure enough, I found his uh, right hand side. Oh, wow. Was it in, you know, in a bedding area or was it uh transition? It, what it was, was, you know how deer transition in the wintertime more to conifers? Yeah. Yep. So it was, it was a, a slight Southern exposure slope in amongst pine and spruce trees with some okay. autumn olive and mixture other stuff in there. And, and yep. deer always bed in there uh, in the late winter. So I've always done well finding sheds in there. You know, I mean, some years I don't find anything, but anyways, I, uh, I had a camera set up in there and was really getting good patterns. And, you know, I could look and say, wow, he had his picture two days ago, or he had his antlers two days ago. Now here he is. He doesn't have them, you know? And so I got to looking around and, and I found it and I was just, just really pleased that I thought, boy, he's going to be a nice deer this year. And uh, like all deer, especially when you have thick cover and good food sources and the kind of property that I have, you know, they, they go off and, and I think they change their summer range somewhat, tr- probably trying to get away from all the does and the fawns. Right. And I, did, I didn't get many pictures of him. I got some early when he was just starting to nub out and get like three or four inches of antler growth. And then I lost track of him. Never had any pictures. And then started getting pictures in mid-July on a actually a food plot deep in the woods that I don't do a lot of work to just because it's tough to get my equipment into. But I'd gone in there in July and sprayed everything so I could plant it. And then, you know, we got into the drought. And so I had a camera on it. Just so, well, you know, deer still come through there. And there was an old mineral station that I had put minerals in from the fall before when it was legal. So there was still mineral in the ground and deer were coming to that mineral spot too. So it was a good place to get inventory. And I started getting velvet pictures of him and he was, you know, I was pretty impressed. And then that deer looks like he's about 18 inches wide, 10 point. And he had this distinctive little, uh, he had a, a typical white spot or throat patch like they normally do. And then underneath there on his neck, the hair just got real light colored and kind of an old. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, okay. uh, and so, sure enough, I started viewing the pictures. I said, Christ, that is pretty boy. He's gone into a 10-point, you know? So was he an 8-point the year before? Yep. he was an 8-point, yeah. With, okay. with a little, oh, I had a little tiny small kicker at the antler base and a little bump on the bottom of the main beam that some people say, oh, he's growing a drop tiny, but he didn't have that this year, and it could have just been from an injury when it was growing. Yeah, okay. Something like that. So, uh so anyways, you know, I started getting fairly consistent pictures of him through all of July and early August, and then nothing. And, you know, when it starts getting into mid-August, I start pulling cameras. So I pulled I, I pulled all my cameras from what I would call 
deep in the woods. And I, uh, I've been experimenting, you know, uh, with licking branches. I, I try all kinds of things. We discussed that the last time. And uh, I had a spot in this woods that I've always hunted before, and I thought, you know, I'm going to take a choke cherry limb, and I'm going to wire it to this uh, ironwood tree, and it's right where these three trails converge. And I'm going to put my browning camera on there and mount it real high and put it on video mode to take a one-minute video and put a 32-gig card and leave it in there. You know, see what happens. Okay. And so I, I leave it two weeks. I go back in there and, and the card's full. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Over the first thing the camera says, card full. Anyways, I start reviewing it. And you cannot believe how many does and fawns in uh, early September and some younger bucks that were hitting that licking branch. And it just got, it was crazy. And Is, was so, that. Uh, was that within a staging area? Is that where you kind of figured it was, or, um, or was that like a destination spot? You know, it, it, it's actually just a, it's a, it's an area probably thirty to forty yards from a major swamp crossing where the deer cross the the water where two peninsulas connect. Okay. Yep. Twenty five yards of water separating those peninsulas, and then directly to the south is about three quarters of an acre of a hinge cut, maybe thirty yards from that camera. So between bedding and transition, and then just full of oaks and lots and lots of food. Okay. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I really started getting uh, tons and tons of, of pictures, and uh, when I went back, say, oh, I don't know, probably another week or ten days, kind of worried that my card keeps filling up, and uh, it was during that youth hunt time period the 20th or something like that yep and uh you know i pulled the card and reviewed the videos man i had all kinds of videos of pretty boy coming in there and really posing for the camera and working that straight really so was he in a lot of daylight pictures or was yeah. it pretty mixed almost all daylight crazy really okay yeah. and you know we had a heavy acorn drop and so Besides working the scrape, he was feeding, and the does, every doe and fawn, I don't care what their age class, even with spots, were working that scrape, okay? Wow. Just amazing, the data I got. So I was pretty impressed, and, and he had a buddy that he was hanging around with, which is about 100, and I'd say he's an eight-point, I know he's three and a half years old, he's probably at least 127, he might go 130 of me. Okay. okay. And those two were hanging together uh, during the summer, and then here they are, you know, always coming by within 20 yards of one another, working that scrape and feeding right there. So uh, I was pretty impressed. I was like, man, you know, he's right here. But to give you an idea uh, from from where all my major food plots, that's uh, four to 600 yards away from where my major food plots. It's kind of a secluded bedding area. And I've just noticed over the years that in the summer, that's where a lot of the bucks go to bed. I think it's a spot they can get away from all the does. Okay. You know how they like to separate. I talked about that last time. So, uh, you know, I just had the data and I thought, man, you know, I really reviewed the, checked him out and I tried to estimate his score when I, you know, and I would take some screenshots of the video and I was pretty confident he was a mid, like a 145, 10 point at least. Okay. So that's a big jump from the year before. He, He put on 25 inches from last year. Wow. Which a lot of, you know, you read a lot about that. Sometimes the biggest jump is either, you know, between two and a half and three and a half or three and a half and four and a half. And it's, uh, right. 
by looking at his teeth, I'm still having a hard time saying for sure. So I'm going to send his incisors into a lab and get a definite okay. on it. But, yeah. uh, uh, so, you know, I've got that data and, uh, I actually had a couple of visuals of him, uh, every once in a while over here by the house in the last two weeks up along the edge of my, my bean field, you know, I'd look out there in the evening and I, man, that's, that's a big deer. Just get the binoculars on him and he's going into the thick stuff. And see, I think that's, that's that big tent, you know? And I, I had a camera in that area, and it was a cheap camera that's always blurry. You know those kinds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I normally don't get a lot of deer movement, and the reason the camera is there is I kind of use it like a – it just lets me know that the, the pattern is taking place. I can see that they're deer, and, and, I, and if they're close, you can, you can tell. But uh, I knew he was coming through there occasionally. I said, okay, he's shifting and moving over to the food where the does are and in my really cool bedding areas. And, you know, I, I, you know, October 1st gets here and, you know, all my buddies are like, oh, man, you all excited for October 1st? I said, no, I said, uh, it's hot. <laughs> right, exactly. So what, what was your plan going into it then? Like, did you have him pinpointed where you knew you wanted to, to hone in on it? Or was it one of those things that was just like a crapshoot? I'm just going to try to go here and, you know, it could happen. Like, what was your plan going into the well, season? I'll tell you, um, yeah, I'll kind of backpedal a little bit on this. So about, uh, you know, I, I grow a lot of Roundup Ready soybeans. You know, that's all part of my, my food production during the summer. And then that turns right. into, you know, hardened soybeans with the, with the pods for the uh, fall and winter. Yep. So this year we were fortunate. We had plenty of rain at the right time of the year. And I've got a secluded, uh, about a one and three quarters, two acre uh, food plot back in my core. And I've got a licking branch tree, and, and I, I it is nice. And, and my I only hunt it under northwest wind, cold front type conditions, and always have good luck. Always see lots of deer in there. It, it is so secluded; it just fills up with deer. So uh, the beans were so tall this year, Aaron. They were somewhere between forty-five and fifty inches. Oh wow! Once you got, you know how the deer browse the edges, but you get twenty. Yep. 20, 25 yards into the field, and they were super tall. And I'd been running a camera there during August, and literally all you could see is that, like the doe's head when she would come through. Holy the cow. Yes, yeah, so you had a good so, good growing year for the soybeans then. Yeah, so what happened was I've, I've had some good luck early season seeing some really nice shooters in that food plot, and I use it that food plot and my bank's blind more as an observation stand in early season if the conditions are right. Mm -hmm. So I devised a plan. I got to watch and looking at all my videos and, and, uh, and camera data that I had. I said, you know what? These, these deer are absolutely avoiding the center of the bean field. They're just walking where it's, you know, and you can't blame them. Okay. Uh, you know, back down in Iowa and, uh, uh Missouri, uh, deer are used to soybeans being that tall, but we don't see that around here that much. Right. So, uh, yep. So I went in there with my walk behind brush hog about three, three and a half weeks ago, and I mowed these paths that came from the north edge of that food plot in a windy, curvy pattern, and from the west edge, and they converged right up to this cedar tree that I have that is about 16 to 18 yards out in front of my bank blind that typically all the bucks end up at sometime if they enter that field. A lot of times they show up at dark, and, they, and usually that cedar tree is nothing but one giant scrape by November first, all the way around. Okay. So you, so you 
brush hogged your standing beans, but you made trails through it. Is that what you did? Yep. And and this was a narrow 24 inch wide brush hog. So I made two passes, you know, going and coming and they pro- they're probably about 32 to, to 36 inches wide. So I, I okay. going to it, went around it in a circle, uh, had a path going right out, you know, 20 yards out in front of my blind, uh, coming to a, a water source that I have. I've got a water tub in the ground next to an autumn bush and the deer hit that water a lot. And then, it, then I divided the, that path, kind of wide it out so you can go kind of to the southeast or straight to the south so the deer can move through there. And, you know, uh, you know just to backtrack a little bit, so when you went and, and brush hogged this, what time of year did you do it? Was it in September? Were you worried about, you know, were you worried about spooking deer? Yeah, I was a little worried that I was screwing things up, but they're pretty used to me out there being Farmer Jake, you know? Yep, okay. So uh, so I went ahead and did that, and actually, as I was finishing up, it was getting really cloudy and, and rumbling some thunder, and, and I thought, oh man, it's going to rain. So I went, uh, went back and grabbed a bushel of winter rye and wheat and 20 pounds of crimson clover, and I broadcasted all that up and down those paths. Okay. So, and then I walked <laughs> away, and I've never been there since uh, the night of October 4th. The conditions were really starting to look good. We had a major about a 25-degree temperature drop. Winds were straight out of the north, and we had a high-pressure system moving in, settling right there at about 30.1, 30.2 one two and as you know i kept i was watching the weather all morning and, and all noon and about one thirty two o'clock i did my latest update and uh i said man i'm i'm gonna take my shower i'm gonna get ready i'm gonna go hunt i'm gonna hunt in that block and so this so was I, at the this was at the front end of the cold front then right yeah it was this was the front end which for an afternoon hunt is good on a food source okay Right, because they're probably laying low the couple of days before because it's really hot, yep. not eating much. So now they're going to get up and get to food. Correct? And uh, what I can tell you, what I do believe contributed to uh, a Pretty Boy is I really worked my tail off in my. Uh, I did such incredible work in my hinge cuttings this year. It is it's absolutely a sight to behold. I I, I don't care who it is. If I bring someone in there and show it to them. They will have never seen anything like it. I can just say that. You, you cannot <laughs> believe what they look like. And as I was working, and even though I was busy working on them all summer long, no matter when I went in there, if I did an improvement, I'd go back in there two weeks later and there'd be deer poop and deer hair and they were all over it. Okay? That's awesome. They were, That's so, so I cool. knew I had I, I had the, the zone pick. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's the evening of uh, or afternoon of October 4th. The conditions look good. So I go through all my process. And uh, I'm I'm going in, and I've got really good access, and my uh, my hybrid sorghum, you know, in some of my open areas, my sorghum is like 12, 15 feet tall, and and I'm just like I'm pretty stealthy, okay. And I'm going in, and uh, you know, I'm I'm dressed light because it is still warmer than I'd like it to be, but the temperatures are falling. I think it was in the 40s by then, and I'm slowly making my way there, and. I go down, I've got a tractor path wide enough to take a tractor, an ATV, and that sort of thing, down to the center of this core area. And about 10 yards from where I turn to go left up this trail that I've made to sneak into the blind, it gets me within about 40 yards of this tiny little food plot I call the hourglass plot. 
and I'm standing there looking, and I can see something moving, and sure enough, I see a deer in that food plot, and I go, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to go up this path without spooking that deer. So I stand there for a while, and the wind, you know, this deer is east and north of me, so with a north wind, I know it's not going to smell. Right. So I back up real slow, and I kind of make a dish hook through these standing pine trees. And anyway, I... I, I make it up to my bank's blind, and just as I'm kind of walking up, and I've got it, man, I've got tree limbs and hinge cuts and vines growing all around the base, and this, this blind is about 14 feet up, and I start looking through the holes as I'm going up the, the ladder, and I can see heads and backs of deer right out in front of the blind. I'm like, oh, my God, there's deer in the, in the food pile. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the truth is I get in and I, I successfully get in, get the door shut, get sitting down and I get to looking and there's a total of eight different deer and one buck out there and they never knew I was there. That's awesome. So that's a pretty exciting start from about 430 in the afternoon, you know. Yeah. And with those and banks that, blinds, because we, we hunt on those blank, banks blinds as well and they are, they are sealed tight. They are they so are. comfortable sitting and. They're they're really nice blinds. They are, and you know how those those windows have seals on them. So, yep. the first thing my normal routine is when there aren't deer out in front of me is I need to open those windows and break that seal loose, and then just yep. kind of close that window without the without the locks on it, so that if I do need to open the window to get a shot, I can. Well, I got these deer right out in front of me, and I can't open the window. You know, and I I look up, man, I see a pretty nice buck out there now it's like oh geez there's another buck you know and i got a doe and a pair of fawns coming right down one of those mode paths okay i'm going man the plan is working (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's awesome (laughs) and uh, long story short a deer moved out of the way uh, got behind brush and trees and and some of the some of the does moved off and i was able to get my windows open and and shoot some some video of what and zoom in on the paths and guys when you zoom in you know with the camera, I could just see all this green growth. I mean, these paths are just bright green, okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And and I could see scrapes, fresh scrapes around that the cedar tree. So uh, eventually all the deer moved off, and it was kind of dead from about 6 p.m. to about 6.30, 20 minutes to 6. And I start seeing, a, here's a couple of does, here's a couple of fawns, and then I catch a two-and-a-half-year-old that I've got on camera there a lot. He doesn't have any brow tines, but he's got He's nice. He's got really, really potential. He's kind of, kind of heavy and bladed, and uh, so I see him out there. And then, not ten minutes later, I see this year and a half old buck out there. And that year and a half keeps looking to the east where I can't see because imagine this food plot kind of being in a uh, L shape, and I can't see the L to the north. Okay. Okay. Yep. So this buck keeps looking, and he keeps looking. He eats, and he keeps looking. And all along the north side of that plot is really overseeded, uh, seeded real heavy with brassicas and turnips, and because you know the deer browse the the beans real hard on that north side. And uh, so eventually, I see some big antlers moving through the beans, and I get my binoculars out. I go, "Holy smoke, it's pretty boy!" <laughs> Holy cow! And this was at what time you said? Uh, this was about twenty minutes to. Uh, uh, 20 minutes to seven. Okay. 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 So I got my, you know, I got a camera and a tripod, you know, and I've got a, it's a stump too. So there's not a lot of room, but, but it's, it's good for me for one guy. And I have had, I have hunted it with two people. It's a little crowded. So I've got my tripod and I'm getting some video and zooming in on him. And, and the more I'm watching him through the, the video lens and then get my binoculars, I'm like, 
flashy tonight, dear. You know? And he was so much taller. He was a good eight to ten inches taller than the other two bucks. Okay. Uh huh. So he definitely and, stood out to you. <laughs> yeah, he stood out. So you know, he keeps working and he keeps working, and he's basically feeding, head, heading west, right along the north side, the first ten yards of that food plot, right where all those brassicas. He's inhaling the brassicas, and then he kind of steps into where the beans are three feet tall. And he grabs a few beans and he's, you know, and he's just taking his time. He's in no hurry. And he, he and I have this on video and actually I, I put a YouTube video up yesterday with my story. So I'll send you a link to it. Yeah, that'd um, be great. Uh, but uh, he gets to that first uh, path that I mowed. Okay. And, and uh, it's all green and he's got his head down. And he just starts walking right down that path. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to walk right up to this tree. But like all big deer, the wind was from the north. So he's on the north side of that plot. And he gets about five or six steps in. And he kind of stands and he puts his head up and he looks around. And he, you can actually in the video see him take steps backward and go back and go, no, if I'm not, you know, he would have had to been tailwinding to continue right. south, okay? Yeah. So he continued west along that edge. And his little buddy that was hanging out with him this little year and a half was ahead of him about 20 to 40 yards. And so I'm busy getting video and watching that buck, and I've, I've ranged him. He's 57 yards away. That's just too far to shoot, you know, at least for me. And uh, all of a sudden, I see his little buddy walking right up the trail, coming from the, the – I've got a west trail, too, that I mowed through the beans, right up to the cedar tree. Next thing I know, that little buck is working scrapes. And, you know, and I'm looking through the video, and then I look up, and 20 yards away, here comes Pretty Boy coming right up there. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like man game on so because of my camera and being on uh being on a tripod and afraid it would be in my way using my crossbow and everything i turned it off pushed it off to the side and now i've got these two bucks at 15 16 yards working the scrape and my window still closed because it's like how do i do this they're right here right yeah and i'm kind of i'm really watching both of them intently and they both got their heads up in that thick theater and they can't see me and i just open that window right up and you know how you lift it up to the top and the hinges are it'll hold the window still you know exactly yep yeah and then i and i grab and uh you know i i got a new uh mission uh matthew's mission sub one crossbow this year okay so it's my first time using it and i've shot it and i just it's just incredible you know so with that bank with that stump it's got sort of the higher window so it's more of a gun or a crossbow blind anyway so uh Anyways, he's working that scrape, and he is broadside, and I put those crosshairs right behind his elbow and touch it off, and I just watch that that bolt disappear, and I hear that thump. Oh and he, man! He just tears <laughs> off. He just tears off running, you know, right back yep. to where he was, and then I'm watching him cut through the beans, and now he's not following the trail; he's going right through the beans. And he gets right to the edge of where the beans and the brassicas are thick, that last ten yards. And he turns around and stops and looks back in the direction of, of where it all happened and then just hits the ground. Oh, man. He he died right – didn't even get off the food plot, huh? Didn't even get off the food plot. Oh, no, my he, gosh. <laughs> I would say his, his total distance is maybe 40 yards. Holy cow. That's so, awesome. So it was double long. It turned out I, I went right through the heart, uh, you know. So now, I mean, like, you know, I'm like, my God, look what I just did. You know, I'm thinking, holy smokes, he's laying there. I can see him laying there. Wow. <laughs> you know, so this was at, like right at, this probably happened right at about 7.05. Okay. 
Okay. So I had to watch that deer for about 20 to 25 minutes, which yep. is, you know, pure, pure torment. You've been. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you had the perfect scenario though. North wind, you know, and how, how, how bad was the wind blowing? Was it like nine to 12? Was it just, you know, a little, you wind? know, I would say it was in that eight to 12. Sometimes it would be, you know, you could see leaves moving and sometimes yep. the pine trees, I'm right in tucked into a pine. Sometimes that pine limb would be a move, you know, how it's dusty as a, as the, uh, but it was good. And that's kind of in a secluded area with a lot of trees around it. So, uh, right. Shit was, yep. So, you know, I gathered my stuff up and, and I grabbed my camera and I did a, a really cool recovery video, uh, you know, just basically telling my story in front of the camera and then you literally using the camera and walking up to where he was standing, finding the bloody uh, bolt and then uh, walking, you know, down one of those mode paths right up to the deer, you know. That's and, awesome. You know, and, and just as much as you thought, you know, mowing those paths, it was going to hurt you. Which it could have, and it may have, but obviously it didn't, um, because it actually ended up helping you. And uh, you know, one of my good friends did that last year and killed, you know, two really big deer in one night. I had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and uh, he did that as well. He didn't mow it, but he went in and with a roller behind his ranger and rolled a oh. path uh, in uh, with high. With um, you know, with a, it was really tall, like kind of cattails, like but grass. It was about as tall as you know we are. But he went in there and rolled it right by a stand, and those deer oh, use that religiously. You know, they do. And, and you know, and I've used this exact technique in woodses, uh, in thick cover, uh, in hinge cutting, creating. Uh, you know, people refer to them as corridors or, or steering tunnels or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and I've had great luck in the cover, so. That was my thought process back in uh, early September. But man, these beans are so tall that if I'm going to have a chance, uh, you know, I'm going to have to uh, do something, you know. Right. And I'm really yep. glad I, I went ahead and did it. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I'm so happy for you. And, you know, like you said, you hadn't had a lot of success in early October. And you just found the right, right uh, potion, I guess, for that night, you know, the the front end of a cold front and you knew they'd probably be wanting to feed because they hadn't been feeding the last couple of days and right it had been you know pretty pretty warm and humid and yeah yeah you know and I, I i didn't know what to expect because we do have a very heavy acorn crop and i and i know a lot of deer love to sit in the cover and uh but you know there's a deer that uh, knew that area well felt comfortable in there and uh, he decided to come get some greens you know, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so I guess what, what is your plan for the rest of the year? I mean, what, uh, what does the rest of the year hold for Jake? Well, um, I'm probably going to try and uh, as soon as we get some cool weather again, I've got a couple of very low impact stands I can get into to try and kill a couple of big does. Cause I really need to, you know, I, I've got oh, some high numbers. Yeah. I should kill more, but I at least get a couple. And then what I'm probably going to do is wait till that Halloween first week of November and just save my, I, I built a setup this year. I cannot wait to get in there. Um, I've got a couple of nice deer. Um, I've got one uh, big eight point. He's real tall. He's not real wide, but he's very heavy. I know for sure he's, uh, I know he's at least four and a half this year. Could be older. And it's going to take a heck of a deer for me to kill. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this deer, by the way, I went through and, you know, I score for commemorative bucks and all that. And so I, 
I've got his, you know, I got his antlers cut from the taxidermist and, and really went through and marked it all up, put the tape on it, marked the base point, did a super good job measuring him. And I've got my score sheet right in front of me. He grosses 144 and an eight. Holy cow, you're really close. You're right there. Yeah, and then that's that's 142 and some change. Is oh. that your uh, is that your biggest Michigan deer? That's my biggest Michigan uh, archery kill. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So very happy with it, you know. That's and, great. Uh, but there's a part of me, Aaron, that is like, gosh, you know, if I was if I'd have been blessed enough to have uh, different kinds of neighbors or owned a larger property, I would have loved to let him go another year. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I think we're gone, all in that boat. <laughs> he'd have, I'm sure he'd have gone into the uh, mid sixties or maybe even hit Boone. You know, yeah. the deer just has all the potential in the world. You know, just well, but, and to make a jump from you know 25 inches or so in one year, that's that's yeah. a good jump. Yeah, it is. That's a good jump. So he did. He did real good. He he didn't have the. Of course, it's early season, so he wasn't all bulked up like. Uh, Brutus was and that sort of thing, but still a real nice deer, you know, about 190 pounds. So, uh, you know, I, I got no. That's point. awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. I had I had some updates for you, um, okay. and I kind of briefly talked to you yesterday, and you know, I, I've been gone for the last month up in northern Saskatchewan on a moose hunt, and finally got home, and you know, last night we had a tail end of a cold front come through, and it's been raining off and on, and you know, I said I was I'm going to go sit at the main farm at the one acre farm but i just you know the wind was perfect you know and i've got a couple stands in the one acre where we did all the hinge cutting and everything but i'm like i don't want to push in just yet um the pressure was high but it was starting to drop the weather i mean the the temperature was like low 50s um but i had which you know i have a stand that's on the edge of the bean field and we still have standing beans and um we had uh wheat flowing in over it so there's wheat growing in the in the field as well and you know so i'm like i'm just gonna go and i can see a country mile out of that stand so i don't want to push into the one acre and and then i called you and kind of tried to reassure my idea and you said yes definitely these deer are going to want to feed and so that's what i did i got into the stand sat for about four and a half hours and uh not really knowing what i was going to see i've never sat that part of the farm um, I just wanted to kind of more of an observation stand yeah. and just kind of see where the deer were moving. Um, I was around the corner, so I couldn't really see the one acre. I couldn't see if anything was coming in or out, but I could see, you know, I've been watching, you know, four or five bucks, four for sure shooters, possibly a fifth all summer. Um, and I, they were betting on the neighbors and, um, I could see that betting area. So I was really watching that pretty heavily. Never saw anything come out of there, but I did have two does uh, work across the field right to me. Um, so that was exciting to see that and kind of see, you know, I'm still trying to learn the farm. So just to see, you know, any deer movements, good movement for me. And, you know, that farm being 80 acres and only one acre of timber, it's it's a farm where, yeah, some nights I think you're going to probably see 10, 15 deer, but you might go eight or nine sets without seeing a deer, but then you're going to see the deer. That's that's yeah. the way I look at it. It's and I just got to be really patient with it. But um, my number two buck on the on the hit list this year, um, he actually got shot. The I think it was Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, he got shot by the neighbors to the to the east of me. So he's gone. But um, as far as I know, number one's still out there, and the rest of them are as far as I know. 
So, um, yeah, that's kind of the update I have right now. And I, and I talked to you as well about when is the best time to go in there and hunt that one acre? Well, you know, I was thinking about it today and I really want to go in there on the front end of a cold front. And I kind of want it to be later October, like around the 25th. I want to push in there because that's where my does are going to be bedding. And I feel like right at that time, that's when the bucks are the, the more mature bucks in the area are going to really come and look for those does. Is, do you kind of agree with that? Oh, I do. And, uh, you know, I would say th- that time frame of October 25th, man, I've, I've seen some real bruisers moving casually enough to where you can actually get an arrow into them. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And they're not, you know, they're not all panicked and running and chasing and, you know, all that that's involved. So, yep. yeah. So yeah, I that's think my that's plan. Anyway, I, I just wanted to be safe with it, and, and I called you yesterday for reinsurance yeah. because you've been on the farm, and and I wanted to get your get your take on it as well. And I mean, it's it's definitely one of those spots where uh, you could go in the first week of October and maybe kill a, a giant, but if you didn't, and say you say you you know that last ten yards, you hear a big deer get up, boy, you know you're you've really eliminated your opportunity down the road, you know, just because right. it's, such, it's such a small condensed area. So yeah. I think you're 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 playing it right, and that's how I play it. I just wouldn't go in there and push it too hard. Yeah. And, uh, most people know you really don't hunt a, a bedding area uh, at this time of the year, um, unless it's sort of a run and gun. Like I don't care if I blow this area out; I got another farm I can hunt. You know, kind right. of thing. Right. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm gonna I'm gonna let it yeah. sit for a little while, but if we get a, a pop up cold front here within the next two weeks or something, and it's like if all signs point to yes, then it might be one of those things that that I move in. But I'm gonna wait for that time and just be patient with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's the hardest part for all of us that are doing habitat work because you know you you've uh, you've made some major changes in there. You've got a lot more deer in there uh, last time we talked uh, than what you normally see, and so you're just like grinding your teeth waiting for that day right? <laughs> i am because you know two months ago was the last time i was in there i was in there august 5th was the last day and that was the day that i went in there and i broadcasted uh the clover oh, and yeah. i put a camera in there as well and that camera has been marinating in there so not only i want to check the camera really bad but i also want to see how the clover's doing so it's like nope you just gotta relax just take a step back and and go in there at the right time and that might be the time where you kill them you know you know uh, when you're following that blood trail right down that that path with all that gorgeous clover you go yeah that clover really looks good (laughs) (laughs) i hope so i surely do yeah it's it's gonna be uh i think you'll have before the season's over i think you'll have some pretty good stories about hunting there yeah. Well, you know, to switch gears a little bit, there's something I really want to talk to you about, and it's about your plan with your screening this year. You had a really good plan set, and you want to try it out, and I'd like you to kind of break down for everybody um, what you designed and how you did it and how it looks now and how uh, how effective it is, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I have... Uh... You know, I mean, I took over an existing farm with woodlots and their typical shade, 
And, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't the most perfect setup when you look at where I built the house based on typical wind conditions. Uh, you know, the farm is on the north side of the road, and it's a long, a long rectangle. Uh, so um, the front 20 acres was tillable in, uh, when I first bought it, and then there's woods and swamp and high ground and low ground. And it, it's not a perfectly straight edge. But anyways, I started when I started getting into uh, planting food plots, geez, 20, 30-some years ago, uh, I started planting these food plots right up next to the edge of the woods and then having the farmer that was still renting it, you know, use the front, you know, 18 acres to do his thing, you know. So I ended up establishing food plots, and, and I have left some warm season grasses, and I grow a lot of soybeans, you know, I'm... I'm guessing this year somewhere around six acres and it's they're just you know they grow well they put nitrogen back into the soil uh you know there's a lot of good things about them good food all summer long but the problem is i have a tractor path that cuts right down through the middle of a soybean field and it's, it's a long narrow field that kind of winds along the edge of the woods in my bedding areas and i've tried so many different things and like it or not you're going to have a gap here and there you know Right. And, and this year, I planted a really good variety of a hybrid sorghum that I got from Northwoods Whitetail and uh, planted it all. I mean, I, I was very architectural with it and planted it thick, as, as in, uh, you know, probably 10 yards wide along the edge of the bean fields and on both sides of my tractor path. And literally, um, you know, b- between the beans getting tall and then the sorghum getting 15 feet tall, I can get to and from my areas with deer in these fields and never, ever know I'm there. It, that's awesome. It, I mean, really, that's what it, you wanted, right? Oh, it is. It's exactly what I wanted. And I think it, I think that played into helping me uh, with Thursday night's uh, success. And, and even that field, uh, there was, there was one little gap on that field where I killed pretty boy Uh where deer would look and see deer coming across this tractor lane. And I planted a big 40, about a 40 yard long, uh, 10 foot wide strip of sorghum and it really sealed the deal, you know? And, uh, yeah, so my screening, you know, I'm a big believer in screening, you know, it's easiest deer to kill is one that doesn't know you're there. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that can, you can, it, if you're screening them from food, if you're screening them from potential bedding areas or, or, uh, transition zones wherever places deer may be if you can if they cannot see you and then when you cross uh through these quote danger zones where you used to be able to be seen and the wind is right and your scent controls right you can get in and out of those areas and and that you know uh degrade your property you know for a lot of people property starts out good but you know by the 10th of october they've had five hunts and they busted a few deer and they got seen and so now things are changing on them you know and uh, yeah, I have not uh, haven't had that problem over the years because you know, in addition to the sorghum, I also hinge cut trees along edges of, of uh, some of my bedding areas to just grow a jungle of thick density so that deer 50 yards in the woods can't see where I'm walking as well. Right. Yeah, and it works. You know, just really, really good for me. And uh, you know, I everything's about food to bed. You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It really is. You know. And. Uh, and you know, and you get to travel all over the country and the world, and and I don't care what you're hunting, it still boils down to that, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, we were just on a moose hunt, and you know, 
we we were in the thickest, most gnarliest stuff on a moose hunt, and you would think these moose are going to have a tough time getting through, which they do, you know, with their big antlers and everything, but you don't go out and hunt, you know, I mean, you, if you do find like a little open area within, you know, some, uh, some, a marsh or, you know, or some, some type of, of, you know, area that just looks good. I mean, that's, that can work, but you want to get into the thick stuff. That's even with moose, you know, so anything like yep. that, they, they like to, they like the cover and the security. Um, one question for you, I guess, with the screening and the sorghum and everything, when is the best time to plant it and what is the best way to plant it? Well, uh, as far as when, I'd say you have, uh, you know, number one, it's, it's an annual, it's in the grass family, so it can't take frost. And the ground temperatures need to be warm in order for it to germinate and do well. So you're really looking at uh, early June all the way through about the 4th or 10th of July, you they'll get away with it. So you've got a lot of opportunity. And it, it starts slow, and it kind of picks up speed as it gets older, and, and, it, and it loves nitrogen. So you've got to feed it nitrogen and, and be good with your weed control because, you know, uh, because it is a grass, then you would have to spray like a broadleaf killer to get rid of, uh, you know, anything else competing, but you can't get rid of competing grass. They warm and cool season grasses are coming in and overtaken, then you're, you're kind of screwed, you know. Okay. Uh, but my um, my own method is I use I broadcast, and it's so hard to do because, like it or not, you're going to get it too thick. And I I'm, I really try to make it thin, you know, where I want it to hit the ground with about one feed, you know, every four to six, seven, eight inches. A lot of areas I had great luck. It was exactly that way. Other areas it didn't, you know, because I just because of the way the broadcast works. Okay, and uh, probably the best way is with a drill. If a guy had like a bean planter or something like that, or say what he planted, uh, you know, if he could have them on like ten-inch centers, it'd probably be ideal. You know. Okay, uh, I see. Yeah, it really would because you could just lay it right down, know exactly where the seed is. And it would do, you know, real, real good for you. And, and uh, like I say, it, you've got so much time. I've actually got a, a neighbor here in, in our co-op. And a couple of years ago, uh, he got a late start. And he says, man, is it too late to plant? I said, no, let's try it. And it was it was July 10th. And that screen still got eight feet tall for him. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah. That's something I've always wanted to try. And, you know, it always creeps up on you and you're like oh i gotta get that in the ground then you're always busy and <laughs> and i've never been able to do it um and that's why this year with the hinge cutting we kind of did that with the hinge cutting but i really want to try the sorghum i've got a food plot on my family farm that is it's it's sits in the middle of a long it's like i want to say it's like 500 yards long but it's only 40 yards wide and it's all um, set aside grass, but on each side of it, it's got, it's got two really nice pine tree stands on each side of it. Um, and the deer on the one side, it's really thick and the deer bed all in there. On the other side, it's kind of open. The pine trees have kind of overtaken themselves. It's open on the bottom, but they like to run back and forth. Well, to get into that stand, if there's anything in the food plot, you have to walk from the North down the edge of the pines to get into the stand so everything can see you so yeah. i've been wanting but it's really sandy soil as well so yeah. um well, it's, it's kind of uh, hard to grow anything really 
Yeah, if you took a soil test and amended your soils, and it might take you a few years. You might have you might want to just grow some oats and buckwheat, oats and buckwheat in a strip, and you know, and and, and some crimson clover, and use it as green manure, which means as soon as it gets up three, four inches, disc it back in, and start building some organic matter that will hold moisture. And uh, but you know, if you take the soil test and you see where it's at and, and what you need, and and you know. And Mother Nature uh, treats you well, and you get consistent rains like we had this year. Oh man, it'll grow! I mean, it, it's amazing how it changes from the middle of July to the middle of August. I mean, it'll grow six feet in that amount of time. That's that's crazy, and that's what I want to get into. You know, you get a lot of guys that do plant it, and it only gets about three or four feet high. You yeah. know, and so I would just. The- there's a feeding process. When it gets to a certain height, you want to really hit it heavy again with nitrogen when it's in that, oh, 14 to, to 24 inch zone. You want to really hit it with urea. I mean, that's what I use, you know, 4600 and put it down heavy. And uh, this year I did it right in a pounding rainstorm. Okay. Yep. Which is the best time because now, you know, it's melting it, it's, it's absorbing, it's going into the ground. And you can also do it, say, you know, we, we get in uh, lots of times in mid to late July, we'll have a pretty heavy dew, you know. So if there's an expected heavy dew and you know the dew point's going to be right and you can go out and spread that seed and then you have a good heavy dew, then instead of it just evaporating, because that's the trouble when you when you top dress uh, nitrogen like that, it tends to evaporate and just dissipate on you. you I know, see. Kind of, okay. Kind of, yeah. So... So yeah, if, if things work out good and timing and, and Mother Nature, you can have a great screen. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen pictures of yours, which I will be definitely putting on, you know, yeah. my social media and everything, so people can see them. And uh, the screening is is pretty crazy how big yours got. So. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's very nice. So I'm. Well, I got I'm, a couple. I've got a couple other questions here that I wanted to get to the first time. Um, if you don't mind, I got about three more. Sure. If you want to go through those. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah, so what are some of the top five improvements that you highly recommend for people to do on their property? Well, you know, as far as top five improvements, um, you know, know it's kind of of a vague question, I guess. It depends on the scenario you have. But I guess if, you know, within just any property in general, what are five things that or three to five things that someone can do that will really benefit them? And, and that would be, you know, uh, number one, I would say that the number one improvement to do, because it, it, it sets everything up, is your bedding, okay? F- find that location where deer are, are currently bedding. If they're not, create, create a secluded area where you can establish bedding. And that can be done, you know, so many different ways. If you've got existing trees and forest, hinge cut, select cut, you know, so many different methods. You can grow uh, warm season grasses. Uh, you can let early successional growth come up. There's a lot of different ways. That's, it's very important to know where your deer are bedding. Okay, and I don't okay. care if that's 10 acres uh, that you own or if it's 110 acres. And then you know, of course, food. And ideally, if you can, you know, depending on where where you're accessing that property from, sometimes you don't have a choice. You've got one road frontage. Sometimes people are living there, so here's where their house is, and so I walk out the backyard, and this is where my tractor lane is. You know, they got established route. 
So if you can select that route and think about that route, and and so many people I run into, uh, you know, from my consulting business, the first thought out of their mind is, well, you know, the the, the predominant wind here is X. Okay, and it's like, well, let's not let's not worry about the predominant wind. Let's talk about when the deer that you're trying to target, when are they going to move? And that is mainly uh, pretty pretty typically uh, surrounds around a cold front. Yeah. So let's think about north, north wind, northwest, northeast wind. So, so many people set their properties up for south, southwest winds. And then, of course, when the north, when the cold fronts come in, all their stands are wrong. Right, <laughs> right exactly. Yeah. And that's the best time and, to be and, hunting. You know, <laughs> I can tell you that in fair weather, uh, mild weather, sure, you can kill nice big bucks. Everybody, you know, it's, it's done all over, you know. But, uh, you know, here in Michigan, you know, you and I, I know on the last podcast, we talked at length how difficult these Michigan deer are. And they are a nervous creature. So uh, they've got to be comfortable in order for things to work out right. Uh, so I would just say, you know, keep in mind, you know, where can you put a, a where can you put a bedding area or multiple bedding areas? Where can you put food that you can uh, create that will work to your advantage under seeking uh rut periods and also just during the food to bed and, and uh, bed to food uh, routine. And mm-hmm. then how are you going to access, how are you going to get in and get out, you know, plan it, think about it. Um, I've got a couple of fellas I know uh, here in like Jackson County, just North of me that just bought some properties and they've been, you know, they, they watch a lot of these Facebook sites and they go to these forums and I give these younger guys a lot of credit because they, they buy these pretty wide open farms. And they let the early succession come up, you know, which is just weeds and grasses and autumn olive and that thing. And they start planting the, the sorghum strips and they're compartmentalizing that property. And, you know, they're planting food plots and they've got a strategy and they're doing very well. Okay. And so they're taking a, a typical farm that if you just treated it normal, they'd have very mundane if, if no success. And they, uh, I'm just so thrilled to see uh, how many people are embracing it, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, cool. So there, I mean, there's a good top three. Um, and that's, and that's kind of where I figured you might be going with it, but I didn't know if you had a, you know, a potion in a bottle, which everybody wants to know, Oh, you do this regimen and you do these and then you're going to kill big deer. Well, it's not like that, but <laughs> you know, I mean, if you had any well, other curveballs right. out there. From a, uh, strictly from a habitat, if we get into hunting and, and, uh, when to hunt and pressure, you know, how not to overpressure a scent control. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. But to start with, the deer have to be there and they have to be actively using the property. Yeah. So, uh, so out, of those, out of those three, I would add number four, and that is uh, don't overpressure your property. Okay. Right. You got nothing to worry about during the summer when the deer are in their summer uh, patterns. I mean, I work on my farm. I do a lot of stuff. You see the pictures, you know, and stuff that I do. And... Uh, you know, if you back out by uh, late August or early September when those bucks are making that transition from velvet into uh, hard antler, uh, hey, proof's in the pudding. You know, I've, right. I've done it uh, consistently for a number of years. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so the next okay. one I got for you is in what location or geography of a property are the best to do a hinge cut, like maybe furthest away from all the people, center of the property, 
on a hill or in a low spot? Like you know, yeah, that's a really tough one because you know every property's got it is it topography or maybe it's it's laid out and you walk down this ridge and you come to this swamp and it just looks awesome. And then right on the other side of that swamp is a subdivision. You go, oh, okay, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. not going to work, you know? And, but given all things equal, you know, um, I like to have, uh, I like to have my hinge cutting bedding, uh, definitely in some core areas. And I also like to have them along edges of the property, especially spots where I have potential trespassers. And, uh, you know, a lot of people might scratch their heads, but it's worked real good for me where uh, I've had access issues. And I just, number one, I just hinged that entire fence row 50 to 60 yards wide along that fence row. And I've just turned it into such a mess that the people that used to walk in there and, you know, look into an open woods, now they can't look into an open Right. That, and, that's, that and, is nice. And then if there are deer bedding and utilizing that thick uh, mess that I've made in there, we, you know, of course, distinctive deer trails and open areas for bedding as those uh, people that say hunt your field edges or your, your woods edge or whatever it is, uh, as they approach that, those deer that are already there are very aware that those people are there and, and they certainly don't go running towards them. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, they will either just sit tight and wait them out or just kind of slip, get up and just slowly move deeper into your property. But I am a, a firm believer that, you know, uh, because of the weather conditions, you know, we talked about high pressure, low pressure, you know, cold front, mild. Um, I, I like to pr- uh, have on all properties high elevation bedding and low elevation bedding. Um, some large in size, some small in size. And that's the deal with the doe groups versus isolated bucks and different times of the year. So, uh, you know, it, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all if I can answer that question uh, correctly for you. Is is the reasoning for the high and low bedding, is that um, more for like wind thermals and times of day that you can hunt each plot? Yeah, and it's, it's about deer being comfortable irregardless of what mother nature puts out okay i see so you're just giving them a big variety of yep you know some deer might only like to stay low so you want to give them low areas or vice versa for you know higher areas i i see what you're saying yeah i i know i hopefully this year i can get you and cole out here and you can see that i've got it right down next to the water great bedding i've got it up on the hill 30 feet high and it's amazing how those deer, you know, depending on conditions, bed high, bed yeah. low, bed, bed halfway in between. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, my, my goal is always trying, you know, when you use that term hold deer, it's, it's a, that's a loose statement because, hey, deer have a home range. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, but you can have them spend, you know, uh, 80% of their time on 20% of their home range during daylight. And then that means uh, ideally that's your property. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, to answer your question, Cole and I are definitely coming. We just got to figure out the right time to come. Um, but yep. maybe it's you know the winter, you know, right after season yep. or something, and yeah, get in there and really get to see. I think everything will start clicking for me a little more. You know, I've got a small dosage of, you yep. know, seeing it hands on what you help do and everything on on the main farm, and I want to see kind of a bigger scale of it. So I I can't wait to do that. It's, so. uh, yeah, hopefully we can do that maybe like right after, you know, first week in January or something like that. Yeah, 
and definitely uh, yep, get you right in and you can just see all these beds and trails and yeah it'll be cool so, so uh, last but not least certainly um and this question i've been kind of you know thinking about and i've had a lot of people kind of ask me too as well when they get a new piece of property or if they have an existing piece of property where to start but this question um if you had to start with an 80 acre piece of solid deciduous trees or 80 acres of solid you know conifers or everything where everything else is equal which would you pick and why so you're saying 80 acres of oaks maples basswoods versus 80 acres of conifers yes yep oh i would definitely take the 80 acres of deciduous uh, oaks and maples uh primarily because of the diversity in uh in trees that uh, produce mast and great brows. Okay. Okay. Uh, deciduous or uh, conifers, as great winter thermal as they are, and and deer love to bed in them. If I had eighty acres of it, it would be the most random, unpredictable hunting environment I think a guy could own. I could see that. Yep. Yep. I mean, there'd be deer in there. You just never know where. Okay. Now right, yeah. you can also go into that eight. Let's say you do have eighty acres of mainly pines and spruce and and uh, you know some fir trees, and if you go in there and strategically cut some openings for food plots and some trail systems and travel corridors, uh, and with some proper screening, you could have it be just incredible hunting. Okay. Because right, now yeah. you you lay some predictability into it, but on the deciduous side when it comes to oaks maples basswoods you know ironwood trees hickories uh, man when you start hinging and cutting and getting that new early successional growth which just produces such high uh amounts of you know palatable food it is you know you've you've seen it when you start cutting holes into a closed canopy woods and get the sunlight in there and all that seed bank that's just sitting there and you, you know, so now you've got young maples and young oaks and young basswood. Man, I mean, that is great deer food, and it also turns into deer cover. And I would, I, if I had my choice, I'd take that. Um, okay, my that, ideal, and that makes a lot of sense. My ideal property, well, you didn't ask me this question, but if I had an 80 acres and it was ideal, I'd like it to be about 40 acres of deciduous uh, woods, oaks, maples, and that sort of thing maybe a two to three acre clump of pines and spruces that somebody planted with some open tillable on it and a couple of either a wetland, you know, a swamp, marsh, or a stream. That'd be my ideal property. Okay. Well, and it, it makes sense too when you're saying, you know, with, with having the deciduous forest because with the versatility, I mean, yeah. if you don't have any bedding, you can make bedding. When you have yeah. – because – in, in my early practices of trying to hinge cut, I went out and just tried to hinge cut a lot of different trees just to see how they'd hinge. And a couple times I went out and hinged some pine trees and they just don't hinge, you know? No. So you're kind of, yes, within yep. one way, if they're really thick, yes, they are bedding. Why would you ever want to hinge cutting? But if you do have a whole property of them, then I, I don't know. I, I guess I could see the versatility of what you were saying though. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have, uh, I have been on some really neat properties throughout the Midwest and Michigan included uh, where people had large, large blocks of uh, planted. Maybe it was an old Christmas tree farm or something. 
and those guys go in there strategically and they, they create these corridors and, and access routes and small openings for micro food plots, maybe one or two large destination plots. And these guys consistently kill really good deer because they, they literally put a travel corridor and they've got all their, you know, they got their secluded bedding areas in, in those spruce trees, but they've got great food sources. And then they can kind of uh, divide up the bedding areas from, you know, buck bedding to large family doe groups. And uh, so regardless of what you have, there are things you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Jake, uh, you know, we're up here on about an hour now. And okay. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on doing this again. And, you know, congratulations to you again. And oh, it's awesome that you went in there and, and, and got your deer. And, and, you know, for the rest of the year going forward, I hope you hope you get on another one, actually. Um, you'll, you'll be a, uh, probably the second or third person that knows. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And you're going to oh, be the first welcome. person to know if I ever do kill something this well, year on, yeah, the, on the one acre. So, uh, so we'll uh, definitely so, have to so, do this again once, you know, Cole and I get to come down and, yeah. and at your house and, and, and I'll bring all the podcast stuff down with me and maybe we'll do an end of the year wrap up and do a walk through your farm and, and, and do another podcast as well. That, it would be great. I'd love to do it. Anything to help you. So are you heading out of state again real quick here? Or? Um, There is a chance that I might be going to Ohio to hunt for myself. Um, I say for myself, I will be. Um, I'll get to hunt, I guess, for Arrival Wild, our TV show. Um, Chris and Casey have got some trips coming up that they have to go do for other obligations here, kind of in the October lullish, if you want to say, around the 15th. So I might take that time to go and, you know, take a cameraman with me and go to Ohio and hunt for a couple days. Um, I got to be back here on the 20th for a wedding. I've got a wedding I got to go to up in northern Michigan. Um, and then Casey and I will really hit the road, um, probably right around the 28th or 29th of October. And we'll, you know, we're going to go to Kansas first and um, really hit Kansas hard and try to get something down there. And then him and I will probably hit Ohio late season. Him and I had a really good muzzleloader hunt last year, late season, killed a, you know, probably a six and a half year old deer we called Eeyore um, with a muzzleloader. So yeah, um, we like to do Ohio. He likes to do Ohio late season. So That'll probably be what it consists of, but I'm really hoping um, I'll be able to be around here a couple more times to probably not in the rut, but like leading up to the rut. And, and you know, that's my favorite time to hunt anyway is yeah, those yeah. five days leading up to October because that's, in my opinion, and, and a lot of other people's opinion as well, especially here in Michigan, but anywhere, you know, I've seen it with my own two eyes here in Michigan that the biggest deer on our farm, I've seen more daylight activity from the stand deer on the hoof from the 25th to the 29th oh. or 30th of october you know uh, so three or four years ago i saw probably the second biggest deer i've ever seen on the hoof uh, here i got one picture of him so he was just cruising through but he was here on october 25th yeah and so that's so, a great day i will tell you, <laughs> you know? that's my yeah. favorite time to hunt is right then so i'm, I'm kind of hoping i get a chance to hunt here in michigan at that time because like i've showed you some pictures and I, i've got some big deer on the main farm this year and i got a couple good deer on uh on my other family farm as well and um i really kind of want to get after it for three or four days then and hopefully we'll have a cold front come through then too so yo i hope so well i'm i'm uh, anxiously waiting your text message with your picture <laughs> okay well i'm anxiously waiting to send it so <laughs> 
Oh man, wow. yeah, it's it's uh, it's I've never quite been in, in this position, you know, uh, killing a really good deer this early in the season. So now it's like, man, I'm just going to stay out of my areas, wait till the 25th of October, like you. <laughs> there you go. Happened, you know, yep. awesome. Right. Well, again, thanks again for coming on, Jake, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. And I, I know you and I'll talk here, here uh, just about every week. So, but okay, uh, good luck, care. and yeah, thanks a lot, Jake. Thanks a lot. Yeah, bye, bye, Aaron. And there it is, another good podcast from Jake Elinger. And I can't thank Jake enough for coming on again and doing this podcast. And what a great story about Pretty Boy. And you know, that's the second year in a row he's targeted a deer in Michigan and got him on the ground you know a three and a half to a four and a half year old deer and he's doing that consistently which really shows for his property and, and really what he's done and molded it into you know with that being said you know i want i want to thank everybody for bearing with me for the last month i'm sorry i didn't get any podcast out but now we're going to be doing every wednesday like normal throughout the fall and and uh everybody is just it's i keep saying it but it's unbelievable how people are the feedback and they're giving me and the support and it and it's great and I really appreciate it and um, you know if you guys could still go to iTunes and leave a review and leave uh, some feedback would be great and even on the social media channels go follow the fall podcast on Instagram on and Facebook and um, I really appreciate it again so don't forget next Wednesday we'll have an all-new podcast for you thanks everybody